welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and today we have with us Dr. David Schechter, a pioneer in the field of mind-body medicine. Thank you, Tom. Um, David, welcome to the show. Um, David is a good friend of mine. We've been colleagues for maybe, oh, it's been a few years, and he lives, he's in the Los Angeles area. And when I first became introduced to this process through Dr. Howard Schubner's lecture, David Schechter's name came right up. And he's a board-certified family practitioner. He's also certified in sports medicine. He has a specialization in chronic pain based on the mind-body syndrome concepts. So he's done a lot of nice work over the years. He's published several books. And I'll have him finish the background here. But we're going to focus on is he and I both have a strong emphasis on there's adult chronic pain, but really there's a huge need for teen chronic pain, um, how emotional pain translates into physical symptoms, et cetera. So that's David's emphasis now, which is going to be the focus of this program. But David, welcome, and how are you, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, David. Could you tell us a little bit more about your practice and what you do and what your emphasis is? Well, my emphasis is... Uh typically chronic pain patients. I see uh, a lot of individuals on the West Coast with obviously low back pain, neck pain, arm pain, leg pain, foot pain, headaches, migraines, and a variety of other nonspecific pain disorders and unexplained symptoms. Typically, they've been going on for more than a year and, and sometimes as long as 10, 15, or 20 years by the time that I see them. And could you just encapsulate, I know this is impossible, but just sort of encapsulate a bit how, how you approach the scenario as far as a given pain. It doesn't, I agree with you. It does not matter which body part is hurting. The, the nervous system's fired up no matter what. But just your general approach on the first visit, let's say the first three months, what's your general overall approach to it? My, my approach in the office is to start with a detailed history and to listen to the patient. A lot of times people feel they haven't been listened to. I also emphasize a detailed psychosocial history, and people are asked questions by me they often aren't asked previously, such as what their childhood was like. We know that's so important in, uh, in chronic pain and mind-body disorders. I ask about stress in their life. I ask about their job, their relationships. All these things are important. And then I also do a careful physical exam because I want people to feel that I'm not ignoring the physical aspect of their symptoms. And that's typically a musculoskeletal with a neurological component. And then I'm looking for tender points on the back, which is something that is, can be part of the syndrome. And I'm typically doing a detailed review of M any MRI imaging they bring, usually a, a disc, but sometimes just they bring the report only. And I'm trying to make a diagnosis for them or to shift their focus away from sometimes previous incorrect diagnoses. Right. And I, and I feel like the reason why I'm able to help people is not because I'm uh, any smarter than the previous doctors that they've seen, but I'm asking different questions. Right. I mean, I agree with you is that as I learn more about the nervous system and body chemistry, et cetera, I actually am more compulsive about doing the workups because neither one of us want to miss anything structural. I mean, infections, cancers, tumors, all sorts of things show up. And I have seen all sorts of, I've seen pelvic tumors, brain tumors, neck tumors, all these things show up. And you can't predict because the symptoms of these bad diseases are pretty nonspecific. So like you, I don't assume anything. Uh, what I'd like to talk about, this audience knows a lot about the whole stress nervous system and the physical symptoms that are created. 
but I'd like to just give your view of how emotional pain is processed and why it creates physical findings. Well, that's a great question. I'm not sure that modern science understands all of it, but the emotions um, such as anxiety, fear, anger, worry, and grief seem to create a cascade or a, a circuitry of pain that persists. So it these emotions, I believe, have a reinforcing effect and an amplifying effect on the afferent signals coming from a part of the body that would otherwise, at some point, if you will, heal or be ignored. Okay. And when we have pain, it's always a signal of something, but patients assume, and often their other doctors assume, that it's a signal of a structural catastrophe or a structural condition. And what my role is, is to shift them, and I'm very focused on this cognitive shift, from the idea that their pain is a signal of something physical, dangerous, and catastrophic, to the idea that the pain is a signal that there's emotional work to do, that there's leftover emotions, that there's stress from childhood, that there's issues in their life that they, they're not handling right now. And so that's, that's the way I look at it. Well, there's this famous quote that's not such a great quote in a way from neuroscientists is that neurons that fire together, wire together. So people say, well, what does childhood trauma have to do with my current pain? Well, if a current experience resembles a childhood experience, then your nervous system goes anxiety, anger, and then physical symptoms that you may have had back then just get fired right up because they're connected. Again, neurons that fire together, wire together. But I'd like to go right to the teen project that you work on. Can you tell about a little bit about our emphasis on teenagers right now? So most of the patients that I treat, and I'm sure you treat, are adults. In fact, probably the most common decades for this condition are 30s, 40s, and 50s. But I see people from, in, in the adult category, from 21 up to uh, 90. And, and I've had results, successful results with people in all of those decades. But I've thought for a long time with this epidemic of stress in our society, and this epidemic of mind-body disorders, wouldn't, could there be a solution? Could the solution be working with younger people? I do occasionally see patients in their teenage years as a family medicine doctor. I'm, I'm allowed to do that as well as children. But in terms of the teenage years, that's when you begin to have abstract uh, understanding and abstract uh, capacities to, for thought and analysis. And this is when we perhaps can make an impact. So I created the mind-body workbook for teens recently. And I've also created a curriculum which is designed to be in the health education section of your middle school or high school years. I found a couple of high schools that are gonna work with me on a pilot program. And the idea is to educate these teenagers, these adolescents, about the fact that their emotions and their stress can affect both their mental health, but also can affect their physical health. I feel if we teach this concept earlier, then when they hit 21 and they get a tension headache or they hit 25 and they get a low back ache, that they'll at least consider the possibility that emotions and stress are playing a role. In addition, I wanna teach them some skills. So in the course of this curriculum, there's a workbook, a journaling process where they learn to write about their feelings and that this can feel good, be helpful, and also be instructive as to what some of the stresses are. 
Well, a couple of points I think are, are one, first of all, it's a wonderful project. I mean, this is, uh, I've had a passion for this for a while. In fact, about five years ago, I actually started a nonprofit to bring this right into the school system, include, including the expressive writing, et cetera. And I just didn't have the bandwidth to pursue it, but just simple tools like expressive writing, a little bit of mindfulness, education, all those things make a huge difference. And my point is people say, well, the families, you can't control the families and you can't. But from a public health standpoint, the school system is the one spot where most people have to go through. It is a touch point where you actually can teach the skills. There's a paper out of Indianapolis in 2014 that showed that the incidence of chronic pain had gone up 800% in 10 years in adolescence. I gave a lecture at a high school in Seattle about three years ago. Out of 1,500 students, 350 of them were on daily medications given out by the school nurse. 350 out of... Um, there's also a paper out of Sweden, as you probably know by song, that showed that there's a very direct link between stress and autoimmune disorders. And we know that Crohn's, colitis, a lot of these autoimmune disorders are just rampant in kids these days, and it's a huge problem. Um, what, can you talk about the expressive writing for a second? I, my audience, I think, is tired of hearing me beat that drum. So it'd be nice to hear somebody else who has experience with to give your perspective on the expressive writing, um, particularly in teens. Yeah, I started using expressive writing or, or journaling, you can call it as well. About 25 years ago, I had patients write in a blank notebook. And then about 20 years ago, I wrote the Mind Body Workbook, uh, which gives people a structured uh, process, a series of questions that they answer, because I find that people can often get lost in a blank notebook when they have to write in it every day. Right. Uh, I know that I, I've, I've, you know, we've talked about this at length, and I've, I've read your book and things. So there's different types of writing one can do. And I, I think anything that you write about in terms of emotions is helpful. What I've, the recent changes I've made, first of all, when you taught me a little bit about some of the dark or negative writing that you like to use, I think that's a piece that I've added in where I have people like you do write occasionally, I think you do it more often, about right. all the dark stuff in their head and, and then maybe rip it up afterwards. Right. I've been more of a fan of the idea of the expressive writing, keeping it in a journal and being able to refer back to it in a week or two weeks or a month and sort of see what kind of progress you've made. Although I do tell people if it's an issue of privacy, tear that page out and shred it or burn it or do whatever you want with it. And right. it's been more recently, I've added the, the concept of some self-esteem or um, positive writing, if you will. So I've had people alternate a little bit between writing all the dark and the emotional and the, and the tension stuff and also writing things they appreciate. So the two things I've had them focus on perhaps one or two days a week is appreciation journaling and self-esteem journaling. Because, you know, self-esteem is one of the issues I see in these chronic uh, patients with pain and stuff. Right. So for self-esteem, I have them make a list of three or four items about themselves that they like and then try to elaborate it for a paragraph on each of those items. So that's just a, that's an exercise to do, let's say one day a week or one day every other week. And for the appreciation, I have them make a list of three or four things that they appreciate in their life and to elaborate upon that for a paragraph. And there's a lot of research on writing about appreciations and how that seems to improve mood. So in terms of what we're doing with the teens, it's kind of a variety. I, I, I don't want to get too heavy. It's in a school setting. They're not seeing a doctor or a psychologist per se. And so I have them write a little bit about school, about their parents, about uh, friendships, and I'm just kind of exposing them to the concept in those couple of weeks that they're doing in the school setting. And then perhaps they'll seek out additional help if they need it from a school guidance counselor or a psychologist 
or a physician or somebody of that sort. So that, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of it like you are. I find it's very helpful for patients and uh, I, I do it myself from time to time when I have the need. Writing is a very uh, productive thing. You only need about 10 minutes. Some people take 15 or 20, that's fine. You can do it in five. I've had people just take an index card and just write for a minute when they're stressed and it helps a tremendous amount. Right, well, you know my story. I had been in chronic pain for 15 years. Within about two weeks after I started these writing exercises based on a somewhat random recommendation, for the first time in 15 years, I felt my symptoms shift. When I deal with my patients with chronic pain, a lot of them don't want to start their writing and say, look, there's not much I can do. I mean, everything else I think is sort of optional. I agree with you. It doesn't matter on the exact style of writing and how you do it. But if I, and people can get better somewhat without the writing, but my experience has been that people really don't start to heal until they start some type of writing exercise. You and I both are familiar with Dr. James Pennybaker, who wrote a book called Opening Up by Writing It Down. And I'm going to rant just for a second is that there's over a thousand good research papers documenting that some form of it works, over a thousand. And I think psychology is a huge adjunct to chronic pain, but most of my patients that have gotten better have not seen a psychologist. There's something about their writing that's very powerful. And I interviewed Dr. Penny Baker on on this podcast about six months ago, in a very powerful interview, he's still doing the social, he's a social psychologist still doing research in Austin, Texas. His daughter happens to live in Seattle. He's a wonderful guy, and I just wanted to ask him if this is still all valid stuff. And he goes, yeah. And again, they've written papers showing that there's different types work for different people. Everybody's different. But yeah, it's a very powerful process. But the question I have to you, just to maybe join my rant a little bit, were you ever taught about the expressive writing in medical school or residency? Not at all, David. And you know, when I bring it up at conferences, people seem surprised by it. And I, right. I usually will throw in a quick line, which get, always gets a laugh, which is I say, you know, you haven't seen any uh, pharmaceutical representatives come to your office handing you a notebook recently, right? Um, or suggesting samples of notebooks. Um, all it takes is a couple of bucks. You can buy any any stationery store online. You can buy a notebook, and and it's such an effective tool. If it's blank, if it's guided, if it's not guided, if you use exercises. So I, I agree with your rant. It's, it's definitely very powerful. The other piece that I find very powerful is education. Right. So to me, the, to me the, two, the two things are education, if you will, is the penicillin for mind-body disorders. And then the writing is the, is, the, is the antihypertensive, if you will, or something like that. So both of these right. are very important in terms of getting the emotions processed and reconfiguring what we think and believe about what's wrong with us. And both of those steps are very important. But I also think you're about to point that's really critical. I mean, to the essence of solving chronic pain or healing, whether it's mental pain or physical pain, is feeling safe. And that means your body chemistry is optimized to dopamine, oxytocin, the GABA drugs. And you feel safe, your body chemistry is optimized versus feeling threatened with adrenaline, oxytocin, adrenaline, cortisol, and uh, histamines when your body's on high alert. But it also has to do with the listening and doctor-patient relationship because you want to feel safe with your doctor. And most patients that I talk to um, just don't have feel like they're being listened to by their doctors. And I also think that, you know, our different books provide a framework. We have different methodology. But I did finally become convinced that the number one thing that still helps people heal is that doctor-patient relationship. I think that people 
always felt listened to back even in the day of Dr. Sarno's earlier books. Right. And then in my office, I really do try to emphasize listening to people. I tell you, know, tell me your story. And I think that just when it when this when the visit stretches a few more minutes than they're used to, I, it just seems to create an increased level of comfort. Right. So that's important. I'm also emphasizing um, affirmations in my practice. I've done this for a long time, but I've kind of gotten a little more into it lately. And so the affirmations that I have them repeat to themselves are affirmations that make them feel safe and right. make them feel healthy and strong because ultimately they are. That's how the body heals. Right. And so I'm doing some work with that. And if, if you connect later to some of my social media, whatever, I'm going to be talking about the fact in my social media about this new affirmation app that I'm affiliated with and doing some work with that. But um, I think that that's another way that you can change the circuitry is what you say to yourself. Because we have this constant dialogue in our head that can be non-productive, counterproductive, or can be productive in healing. And we have to kind right. of help patients change that. So David and I could talk for probably a week on this stuff and actually we're on the same page in many parts of it. But just like to summarize, the approach that I think we both espouse where um, we think the patient physician relationship is number one. Education is really critical for any problem in any realm of life. You have to understand the problem before you can solve it, which requires listening. We both feel expressive writing in some form is really critical to it. And then when you're younger as a teenager, your brain actually is more neuroplastic than when you're older. In my experience, it's been when teens engage in the process, it's just exciting as it could be. I mean, it's really remarkable how, how well they, how quickly they resolve. I have one 35-year-old girl who's a daughter of a friend of mine, and she'd been in anxiety since she was 10, chronic pain since she was 15. And in about four months, she's symptom-free. She's taken on a new career. She, her anxiety is minimal. She has no pain, and she is so excited and you, I know you find the same thing is that not only do people come out of pain, they thrive at a level they never knew existed because they're not fighting anxiety anymore. That's one of the very rewarding parts of this type of practice. And, and I even explain this to patients. I said, if I had a magic pill that would make your pain go away permanently, you would learn nothing from the process, although you right. would feel better. Correct. By going through this process of retraining the brain and, and expressing emotions and connecting to emotions, you're actually getting personal growth right. and pain relief. It's a two yeah. for one. No, it's really exciting, very inspiring. If we just take a minute, if you just um, run through the list of the books that you've written, I'd like to hear that. Now, the first one I wrote was the Mind Body Workbook. Okay. Is uh, expressive writing and journaling. Okay. I wrote uh, Think Away Your Pain. Okay. I have the Mind Body Audio Program and the Mind Body Patient Panel, which is an audio and then a DVD program, some of which I've put on YouTube now and can be observed in that fashion. Okay. Um, also have compiled uh, some interviews that I did, and, and that's called Understanding and Healing from TMS. Okay. And then the most recent one is the Mind Body Workbook for Teens. Is that one, is that one published one, yet? But that's the focus on the curriculum and things like that. And those are all is, available on you know, Amazon in one way or another and, and can be linked by my website as well. So, so the teen one is actually published now? Yeah, I decided to publish it. I'm using the resource. I'm using any revenue from the sale of that for this uh, nonprofit project. So I'm not I'm looking at that as just the it'll just be a fund that I can use to help get this into the schools. All the work we do with schools is for free, and I'm going to be providing uh, complimentary PDF copies that they can print out in the schools. And if I get enough money, then I can actually give them spiral bound notebooks. But 
for now they can just print it out and clip it together and it'll be perfectly fine. So that's a nonprofit piece that I just wanted to do. A couple more details. What's your website? www.mindbodymedicine.com. And where, where are you located at? I'm in Culver City, California, which is uh, in West Los Angeles. West Los Angeles. Okay. And the final thing is, I know you have some nice resources around you. I have a lot of resources in Los Angeles. Having been doing this for a long time, you know, I started to network with uh, psych psychotherapists and psychologists. Okay. At the beginning of my practice, the very first one I worked with is a gentleman named Donald Dubin, who's uh, okay. uh, now retired and uh, passed away. But um, subsequent to him, there were some others. And, uh, you know, Alan Gordon worked in my office when he was just starting his practice. Now he's built up a very large pain psychology center. Okay. And we also have a, a, a good network of other people. So I'm able to really refer people to psychologists or psychotherapists in Los Angeles, uh, pretty close to the geographic area. Okay. The other thing is, you know, I've kind of made a lot of uh, acquaintances and friends with psychologists interested in this area. So I have a pretty good rep referral base uh, around okay. the country. And good. many of them work by telepsychology or Skype uh, well, they so, do. or Zoom. So they're really to anyone who needs to, I think it's important to get a physician diagnosis. I know it's not always possible depending where you're geographically located. Right. I think that that catapults the patient much further along in terms of the clarity of what's wrong with them. Having a, a physician who's knowledgeable in the area that they're being treated and right. specifically the mind body aspect as well. And then typically from that, we do the education, we do the journaling, and then it's a certain percentage of people who additionally benefit from the psychotherapy. And I find that those individuals just need a little more help with some of the emotional issues, or it just brings up a lot of heavy stuff from childhood, or there might've been a more uh, challenging childhood situation. And uh, you know, we identify those individuals and, and work with them in that more team approach with physician, psychotherapist, and the home program. So that's the way I work. And uh, it's, it well, like it helps most of the people. Well, one of the paradigm shifts that Dave and I um, espouse to is that medical school were taught that chronic pain is a psychological disorder. Well, it has a, a very large psychological component, but there's medications, there's sleep, there's stress, there's all sorts of other things beside it. So the if the psychologist fits in the overall context of care, it's wonderful. What tends to happen in medicine say, well, I can't find the problem, so let's go see a psychologist. Well, if it's not in the context of the overall care plan, it doesn't work very well. But if you put the psychology in the context of, of the process that um, David has put together, it's really, really wonderful to be able to work with the psychologist. I think it's fantastic. Well, David, thank you very much. In the next podcast, David's actually going to become the interviewer. I'm going to become the interviewee. And he, he's going to give us a primary care viewpoint of spine surgery and how this new book that I wrote, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery, could be helpful for somebody like him. Anyway, David, thank you very much. Appreciate the interview. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. David Schechter, for sharing his insights on the mind-body medicine approach and the work that he's doing with teens. And I want to invite our listeners back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, please visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.